I don't care about anything more than I care about getting the songs right. Got the same story. Hi, and welcome back to Music at Three Pines, the podcast. My name is Brad Rayley, and this episode features my conversation with singer-songwriter Mary Bragg. We met and heard Mary in Montreal in 2019, and she played our house series last October. As you will find out, Mary is thoughtful about life as well as songwriting, a craft she takes incredibly seriously. Her entire catalog is well worth your time, but please make sure you have a copy of her 2019 Violets' Camouflage. She gave us a copy at Folk Alliance and has been in constant rotation in our house ever since. Mary has that ability to put you in a physical space as easy as she does an emotional one. As with most of our interviews, we start by addressing life in the pandemic, but then talk about her approach to songwriting. Mary Bragg. A genuine question of how are you doing? In all of this, I mean, we're mm-hmm. in, I was thinking about you guys in Nashville, especially, mm-hmm. uh, we're all dealing with COVID. We're all dealing with, um, political turmoil, racial mm-hmm. awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Nashville, of course, you guys just went through a massive tornado, um, mm-hmm. disruption there. I mean, it, how are you, how are you doing with all of that? Mm-hmm. How are you doing personally? Man, um, I'm doing okay. Most days are a new definition of normal, which of course includes trying to sort of stabilize our responses and emotions around all these very difficult things. Um, I find, you know, solace where I can and levity where I can and, um, and often that means getting away from social media because it's, it's just so upsetting. And I feel, um, you know, the tornado was a, a real blow to our town. And, and then of course, when COVID struck it, it, uh, was a, you know, all of my tour plans for the rest of the year were canceled. And so that was a real bummer. And then immediately, you know, I sort of went into this like survivalist, um, headspace of like, well, like, how can I be fruitful? How can I make use of this time? How can I be creative? And, and thankfully, um, I mean, luckily for me, I, um, my, my last full length record came out last year, Violets as Camouflage came out last year and I toured a ton last year. And so this year was kind of meant to be a down year anyway, with like, writing for my next record. And, um, I was supposed to be touring a whole lot this year, but not nearly as much as last year. And so it was nice, um, to sort of already be headed toward that headspace of, of writing a lot for whatever my next record is going to become. So that has been a real joy to have just mm-hmm. an, an, an incredibly unusual amount of time that is, you know, uninterrupted and, you know, uninterrupted time for a creative person is like kind of (laughs) critical. I, by the way, I am going to make this my mantra uh, for my own kind of self care. I love what you said about finding levity where you can finding Mm. solace where you can Mm. almost makes me tear up a little bit. That, that, that to me Mm. is a really, really thoughtful 
mm. an intentional thing that I lose track of. Um, mm. You know, that ability, that is something that we have control over. So thank you mm. for that. That's, that's. Oh, thank really you. Well, I, I get emotional just hearing you say that because I think one thing that we are reminded of in this time is that, gosh, the, the, people in your life are the people that that are going to be part of that levity and solace and and earlier today an old friend called me up and I answered the phone and it was so novel to like have a conversation and talk about things that are sweet and a little bit of reminiscing and and a little bit of like encouraging each other in our new paths of like trying to make this life work and um and it was so rejuvenating you know and sitting here talking to you is rejuvenating and I'm so grateful for it and and I'm I'm glad that we're able to connect um in as in as you know meaningful a way as possible even though of course it isn't what we're used to like I feel so much better about about any day that includes connection with people that I know and love um so yeah, it feels good to be having this conversation with you now. Yeah, well, likewise. Um, it, this seems like it answers part of that next question, which has been um, about self-care and thinking mm. about, I am struck by the fact that singer-songwriters, the ones that I know, and, and I'm so often in tune and in touch with your own emotions. I notice it in singer-songwriters that they're very kind of consciously aware and so, and when you were here last October, I was just so struck by your very intentional uh, in terms of how you approach coming into a city. You wanted to go spend some time in it. You wanted <laughs> to spend some time in some coffee shops, find, get a sense of the vibe. You wanted to go walk. You wanted to go run in the, in the, in yeah. the, I mean, you had this, this very intentional way of kind of, you know, making mm -hmm. sense of it. And so, um, my thought is, is that you have positioned yourself well in your life taking care of yourself, mm. that you're probably better positioned for this pandemic than, than many people who had just been mm. kind of running at full tilt, you know, um, mm. does that, does that seem, <laughs> I don't want to just say answer. No, that's so kind. And I think, I think you're not wrong that, you know, those of us who are challenged by certain elements of, of sort of an unusual life in business that includes a lot of travel and a lot of solace, a lot of alone time. And, and in my case, last year I was, I was touring solo. Yes. I think we might be a little less system shocked by this change, but also every person is so different yeah. that, you know, I know some people that, you know, might subsist entirely off of their touring income and might love touring so much and, and kind of not like to be at home because it sort of makes them restless. And I actually love to be at home so that, you know, that's just like one small difference. Whereas there are, there is a multitude of differences um, in the ways that people handle things and, and cope. I definitely feel lucky in a number of ways, including that I like to be at home. You know, I really like cooking and, and watching movies and, being on my deck and hanging out with my animals, you know, like there are so many things that bring me joy that are, that, that really only happen at home, but it certainly is a challenging thing for everybody. Yeah. You know, when I'm on the road, 
there's definitely always a flurry of new ideas that come and especially they come when I'm alone and not with the band, but often there's just not time to sit and do the writing. And because, you know, you gosh, you have to have like a, a four hour chunk of time at least to really get somewhere that feels productive in the song. And so, yes, now that I'm home, it, I mean, it's been incredibly fruitful and I'm so happy about that. I mean, we, you know, songwriters also tend to thrive creatively with a multitude of uh, emotional difficulties. So there, there's certainly no lack of things to feel and respond to right now. Let me, let me ask you about when you were here, we talked about your musical background and I know you grew up singing in choir. Um, yep, you, sure you've did. always been a singer. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember when you realized that you had just this amazingly powerful voice? <laughs> That's so nice. Well, I, I remember in about the fifth grade, I started to realize that it wasn't something that everybody could do. And I started actually like harmonizing to country songs in the hallway and in the girls' bathroom with, um, I think it was my friend Nikki, who was in my class at that time. And and she was a great singer and, and I could harmonize with her. And I started to feel really excited by that newfound ability. And then, of course, Whitney Houston was everywhere and I loved her and still love her music so much. And I remember trying to emulate the things that she was doing. And certainly while I cannot sound like her, there were some elements of the ways that she would deliver a melodic line that I could cop, I could replicate. And I was like, whoa, that's really fun and really cool. And like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I can sort of sing along to what's what she's doing and not like sound terrible. So, so yeah, there was, it was definitely around the fifth grade when I started to, to realize that it was something that I loved and might have a little bit of ability. So well. you, you were in choir, probably church choir and uh, mm-hmm. school choirs. Mm-hmm. Was that, um, yep. When did you start? I, I realized I, I, I wrote down on my notes. I was thinking, I don't think I ever asked you when you started playing guitar. Mm. Well, actually I started playing guitar around 15, 16 years old when I was, um, I was pretty heavily involved in church growing up and, and I went to one of these, you know, weekend teenage church camps and, and sort of loved the idea of being in the music team and the little band. And so I started playing guitar with the sort of, um, worship team at this camp called happening in South Georgia. And it was really fun. And those were also the people that like taught me how to play closer to fine, you know, indigo girls. And so, uh, and then I got my own guitar when I was 16. It was a sweet Martin that I have right here still after all these years. And I still love to play. <laughs> um, so you started playing uh, acoustic guitar when you were like 15 mm. or 16. When did you think I would, mm. I would like to write a song? Well, I remember the moment that I first, you know, sweetly, naively realized that songs were something that people wrote. (laughs) You know, I think I was 12 or 13 and my cousin, Chris Bragg, um, who is an incredible singer, I have tons of cousins that are incredible singers and siblings and my parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents. Like it's, they're all 
so talented, um, such talented singers. And anyway, Chris wrote a song and played it and, you know, at like the church Wednesday night thing or whatever, where the youth would come and gather and he played it. And I was like, so moved by it. And I just, I remember asking him right after that, like after this thing ended, this event ended, I was like, you wrote, you wrote that song? Like, how did you do that? You know? And so he told me, well, you know, you start with just a sort of standard chord progression and then you kind of brainstorm a little bit about what the, the words might be and sort of see if a melody might come to you. So that was the first time that the chamber was sort of opened to me. And it really wasn't until, you know, gosh, I wrote my first song several years later, you know, you're a kid and you're in school and you're busy doing other things. And, um, and I, I certainly was obsessed with singing. I've basically been constantly obsessed with singing since middle school. And so I was always involved with singing. And then I went to a songwriting camp in high school and I was um, right after I got this, uh, this guitar, actually, I think I was 17 when I went there, it was in Texas and then went to school, went to college at Georgia and um, started writing songs with uh, a friend of mine there. And gosh, it's a long road, you know, it, I, I sort of, I realized I liked it, but wasn't really devoted to it yet enough to really do the real work that makes you learn what constitutes a great song. And so, you know, and I feel like that's work that, that I continue to do and that I think most songwriters, wherever they are in their trajectory of, of, of their catalog, I feel like every, every songwriter I know, every good songwriter I know is always continuing to learn and continuing to sort of um, really like surrender to the process because a lot of it, yes, is there is a lot of study that goes into it. And I have certainly spent a lot of time studying how to write, songs and um, learning all these different devices you can use and whatnot. But, but there really is some sort of mysterious, you know, mystical piece of magic that I, I find is something that I do have to surrender to and be present for. And that's going back to the sort of uninterrupted time thing. You know, some of these moments happen just in a, in a sort of sudden and sometimes shocking way. And, you know, I'll be having, you know, just waked up in the morning or right after lunch or something. And I'll have to like, excuse myself from the company I'm with wherever I am to be like, I- I'll be right back. <laughs> and I'll have to like go work something out really quickly. Um, and that's a real joy to me. Amazing. Yeah. It's a real joy to, to experience those moments, be there for them and be the person that like is catching the song as it's like falling out of the sky, you know, a mix of hard work, um, thinking about it and then inspiration and being willing to be open to that inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for of, sure. How, how do you see yourself as a songwriter now compared to, well, there's a thing that happens when you first, um, start co-writing with people. And, and certainly it happens when you first move to Nashville, when people, mostly publishers, will ask you, uh, what's, your, what's your strength? Are you a lyric writer or a melody writer? And when I first got to town, my answer, which was a poor answer, um, was that I was sort of equally good at both. Certainly because they're, they're both 
equally important to me, but what I've learned, I guess I'm like seven years into my Nashville life now. And what I've learned is that melody is my strong point and I love writing lyrics so much and I, I, I devote myself to it and I feel very strongly about lyrics and I can be, you know, kind of a particularly choosy person about what the lyrics in a song are. Um, but melody is what makes songs great. Melody is what turns poetry into songs and you cannot have a great lyric without a great melody to support it. And I think what's interesting for me is that I think all those years of just singing and learning a ton of songs as a singer, um, both classical songs and in school and gospel music at church, I think learning all those things was a a sort of early education in melody writing. Um, Because just when you absorb all those things and sing them, you without even really realizing it are informing your melodic vocabulary just by being a part. I mean, I was singing literally every day of my childhood every day from like, you know, kindergarten through college. Anyway. So I think, I think like for me, I, I I do see myself as more of a melody writer. Um, And and that's something else too, that sort of you learn that like, what people usually say about my writing is that, that the melodies are like so great. And, and, and so I've just sort of come to realize that maybe my melodies are a thing that I happen to be a little bit better at, you know? Yeah. Can I ask you, it doesn't give me a pass. It doesn't give me a pass (laughs) for lyrics. Like I still have to work my tail off with, with making sure that like, you know, the title is supported and I can't, I was going to say before you were talking about like the mystery of writing and stuff and, Yes, it's a mystery, certainly at first. I think the first part of the process is incredibly mysterious and you do have to give into that. But I think there's this thing that has to happen where you have to stop being precious about it and you have to be smart about it because it is a precious process. But I found, at least for me, when I took myself too seriously or if I was too precious about this precious little thing I had just written and come up with, then I would give myself passes and I would say, Oh, it's fine. Just the way it is, you know, like a, like a really proud parent or something. But really the goal is for the song to arrive at a place where it's not about me at all, but it's about making sure that that listener is experiencing what I want for them to experience. And in order for that to happen, usually there has to be like a fair amount of rewriting involved. I think rewriting is writing. I have to take off my precious self hat and put on my rewriter hat and be like, all right, that line, eh, I'm going to let that one go, you know, and I'm going to, I can do better than that or whatever. It's, there's a lot of rewriting that goes into to, to good songs. I love that. Yeah, I think it's so important. You know, sometimes I, when I go back to look at a song, I almost try to look at it and listen to my work tape as if someone else had written it. I try to be pretty critical of, of my first drafts honoring them being like look at how like good for you like you're doing the work yay (laughs) but also like it sort of requires thinking of it as two separate jobs and I have to sort of acknowledge the work of the the 
mystery grabber and the person who's documenting the initial idea. And then I have to shift and be extremely, I mean, critical is a harsh word, <laughs> but I have to be very cognizant of what each of the lines is doing. Like if it isn't achieving something, if it isn't, I mean, there's this whole thing in songwriting classes and whatnot that you talk about like serving the title. And if it isn't, sir, if it isn't like directly supporting the title and serving the song, then I'm not doing my job as a writer and a rewriter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I want to be doing my job. You know, I want to make sure that the songs are, what I that the songs are doing what I would like for them to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just out of care, and this is another thing that's never dawned on me. If you if you listen to a song that you recorded four or five years ago, and you're in a different space now and everything else, do you have a do you have a, an instinct to rewrite the song? Do you or do you? Oh yeah. Is it, okay. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I think it's fine. Certainly, when the songs have been recorded and released, I think it's fine to you know, let those songs be what they are. And some of the songs, I'm, I'm proud of some of the songs that I wrote like 10 years ago, but it certainly doesn't mean I don't see the errors that are in them. And when I think about like, oh, you know, why did it take me so long to become a mildly successful singer songwriter? And I, and I, you know, blame this or I blame that and I blame the system or whatever. And in my case, I like to think of it as just sort of like, well, my songs were, were cool, but they weren't great. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was doing good work in my early, yeah. you know, twenties and, and really trying hard. But what I know now is that I was expecting some things to make up for my lack of dedication to the craft mm-hmm. of writing, you know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and now I don't care about anything more than I care about getting the songs right. That inner critic can be, an art killer, you know, I mean, it can For be sure. a creativity. Kill- and what you're describing, I think, is this recognizing that there's a place and time for that inner critic. There is a place, yeah. but it's not, it may not be at the beginning. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's let that part go. And then you mm-hmm. get to the part where you're actually crafting and working. Yeah. Then you can be critical because you've already got a lot of the bones of the song already there. Right. And then you're, right. you're making it, you're just making it better at that point. You're not. Yeah. Right. And and I think it's important to acknowledge for anyone that's listening that is a young writer, not age young, but experience young, to really forgive yourself in those first hundred songs. And that's the that's the bummer about this process is that your first hundred songs are gonna be just okay, you know, and you're gonna have to learn a whole lot about the process as you write those first hundred songs, mm. your hundred and first song is going to be pretty darn good. Your 300th song is going to make people cry, you know, maybe. And, and this is again, like this is different for everybody. And who am I to say how long it's going to take any genius or not genius or whatever to get from first song to some level of success that can be defined as the, like any definition that you would like to assign to success but you know to encourage you like you should give yourself the uh permission to keep learning because almost no one is great at writing songs when they first try to write songs um the people who i admire and have been learning from for so long you know talk about how they've written gosh a thousand songs 
And I've probably written like four or 500 at this point, but I want to get to where they are. So what do I do? I keep writing. I want to keep learning, keep giving myself over to the experience and the, the, the quest of growing and continuing to be present and show up for the work itself. And, and, and when I do write a bad song, and I feel like what you're describing, I feel like, oh, this isn't for me, or this isn't my day, or this song is no good, or whatever. It's just like, it's just that thing that um, I think it's Anne Lamott talks about in Bird mm-hmm. by Bird. It's an incredible book about writing. She talks about writing um, literature mostly and, and, and short stories. But she talks about like, well, the title of the book, Bird by Bird, it's like you have to focus on one bird at a time. Like if you're if you're painting a landscape of birds on a wire, you can't write all the birds at once. You literally have to focus on one picture and mm. write that picture. Give in to that one picture of that one bird mm. and and do your best at that one bird. But you have to finish that one bird. You know, you have to learn how to paint the one bird before you can paint the next bird. So that that gives me freedom to right. to to get it wrong sometimes. Gives me freedom to get it sort of right, and then one day I'll be at a place where I got that bird just right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It certainly takes a lot of patience. Well, no, I, I love I love what you you're saying there about having written four or five hundred songs, which is is amazing to me, and yet just by knowing there's a lot of those songs that didn't cut it for you. Oh yeah. They weren't weren't what you wanted. Most of them. Yeah. Most of the songs will never see the light of the day, but it's, but it's part of getting to the ones that I do want to see the light of day. Right. But the, the problem I think for so not, not for, for you, I'm saying for people like me who approach this, this is why I love you explaining this is that, you know what we see when we go see you play we mm-hmm. see the, <laughs> the cream the, the ones the ones that you <laughs> you vetted and you know these are songs you like love to play and you love mm-hmm. them and you're and you're happy with them and yeah. we don't hear the rejects you know we don't yeah. hear that and so it can be easy for somebody who is is self critical to say well i can't write as well as mary not mm-hmm. recognizing that you know, well, Mary didn't write as well as Mary at the beginning, or she's written that's some right. songs that, yeah. And that's, 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 exactly that's a right. wonderful lesson about if it, back up just a little bit, when you were talking about melody and lyric, can I ask you just kind of nuts and bolts? And I know you sure. teach songwriting, so I'm not asking, you know, for free, um, <laughs> but, but <laughs> I love um, talking about it though. But I'm, I, I've been struck in talking to singer songwriters about where the where it starts. So a friend of mine here in Longmont, I interviewed him for the podcast, and he's a fantastic guitar player. His songs start with a musical idea, but that's where it starts. And then you know another one I was talking to is the exact opposite. It's it's a poetry kind of thing. Here are words that need to be said. This is a mm-hmm. word lyric idea and then i find music that fits in and then there's some Mm -hmm. that seem to be at the same time Mm -hmm. can you say how that works for you sure you know it's interesting i'm I'm glad to hear you say that latter option which is that sometimes it happens at the same time because that the marriage of words with music is what we call prosody in in poetry and songwriting and sort of how the words and the rhythm of the words uh, can inform what the melody might be. Usually for me, because 
I'm a songwriter and a singer primarily and not as, as most, not as primarily an instrumentalist like your friend you were talking about. For me, typically a title, I'm trying to think of an example. I'm going to pull up something and see. Oh yeah. I just finished a song with a, my friend Steve Seskin, who's a great songwriter, songwriter and also teacher of songwriting. Um, we just finished a song called Nothing More to the Story. And, and you, you know, there's a lot that goes into where a melody might land. But in this case, the song is sort of a melancholy uh, reflection upon uh, the end of a relationship. And so there, there is sort of... Uh, the chorus is really big. It goes, um, everybody's asking what happened like it ain't cut and dry. Wanna know the who did who wrong and who made who cry. Doubting me, when does it go? Uh, hounding me, doubting me, like they don't believe I'm happier than I've ever been before. And all that stuff happened after we first wrote this line that is now the end of the chorus, which goes, Sometimes there's nothing more to the story. So that started with nothing more to the story. And it the way that the rhythm of that line, nothing more to the story. And in my mind, I'm hearing the rhyme of the word more with the front half of the word story. And so then I try to write a melody that will, that will honor the rhythm of those rhymes. Hmm. Sometimes there's nothing more to the story. So you have to place a little more emphasis on those words and the place that they fall in the measure. Hmm. Anyway, all that's to say that if I have a title first, which is, most cases that's the case i really love writing to a title because i think it's really important to do that to make sure that every line is serving the title and supporting the title as best as it can i usually try to find the title and then the melody for the title and sometimes that just falls right out of the sky all by itself and just there it is you know there's a ton of examples in my like voice memos right now that are literally just that, you know, um, like a, like a 15 second voice memo of a recording of a phrase or a word that is, you know, going to become something that I need to spend time writing the entire song around. But for me, very long winded answer to to your question. It usually comes with both at once, but I will say, of course, that's usually just the one phrase. And then of course there's a whole lot more work involved in writing a melody that supports what you've just come up with and then a melody for a verse. And also like I could also take all that back and say, sometimes it starts with just a melody and sometimes it starts with just a lyric. But um, for me, usually it's either both at the same time or just a melody. So when you're writing, because one of the other things I was thinking about with your work, I was thinking about Violet's as camouflage, and you have a nice mix in there of songs that are um, very, I mean, they're country kind of folk songs about a place and people in that place, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. faint of heart. And then you have these songs that are deeply personal, um, mm. and deeply uh, uh, about 
and and, and I love them all. But um, do you like, especially? It makes sense to me that the stuff you write from the heart about about the things that you personal pain or when you write about like a place, a town, people mm-hmm. in a town, mm-hmm. is that coming from the same kind of impulse? Is that or is that something where you you're does that does that question make sense? I mean, how do you get to that kind of fictional kind of setting as opposed to this personal biographical setting? Well, I think every song that I've ever written or been a part of writing with another person or two um, is certainly informed by my own personal experiences. And really, like, Faint of Heart is very personal. It is about me and my family. I grew up in a print shop, and so that song is written from a mother's perspective, which, of course, I do not know what her perspective feels like, but I certainly tried to write the story of that experience as best I can through the lens of the world, of course, which is my only lens of the world. I definitely like to write fictionalized characters of things, but most of the time, honestly, uh, there there probably are very few songs that are actually 100% true. There, mm. In most cases, something might occur with a kernel of truth from my, my actual experience. And then sometimes, I mean, listen, every line, of course, is informed by what my own truths are, but it doesn't have to be like a hundred percent factual from a journalistic perspective right, right, because right. I'm not a journalist. I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm a songwriter. So I get to put in the song, whatever the hell I want to put in the song, which is great news because then I'm like protecting my own life and personal experiences and family. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff in my catalog that is, that, that might feel super duper true, but I can, I could, you know, I won't, but I could tell you exactly which of those lines right, is right. true and which of them is not, you know, sometimes I think some people are better at writing those confessional songs and songs that are hundred percent accurate. And it, it probably is harder than what I tend to do because if you're only working with your own hundred percent true grab bag of facts, it's then much harder to write a good song Mm. than it is to do the sort of um, amalgamation of facts from various Mm. sources. Mm. Mm. (laughs) So is, is your experience of writing, because you do a lot of co-writing, which I understand is required in Nashville. (laughs) It, you know, I feel like it's a sort of, it's, it's, it's required reading for the first like couple of years of life here. And I think if you're not trying it, then you're missing out because there is so much to be learned from co-writing. So you you enjoy still doing it, clearly. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and you have, I love it uh, so much. I actually hate in in the pandemic. I really hate not being able to get in the room with people. I have done a lot of Zoom writing, co-writing with people, which is you know, fine, but it isn't nearly as like sweet and magical as it is to be in the room with someone um, making that, that magic together. When you do a co-write with somebody, a Mm co-writing session. Yeah. At the end of that session, if you've had a really good, like say with fight, let's just take that because I love Mm -hmm. that song. Mm -hmm. Um, At the end of that session, how close were you to a finished song? You know, I think we had the whole song in the first day first write so that would have been Robbie and I tend to talk a lot and take our time with the song so we probably were hanging out for like four or five hours 
But I do remember a moment where he called me a, a week or two later and said something critical about the rewrite. And he had had a moment where he felt like one word had to be huh. changed. Um, and I remember being a critical word and I can't remember exactly what it was before. So I don't want to say anything right now. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. But anyway, to answer your question, it was mostly a hundred percent done. But I'm always, always, always willing to reopen something and right. look at it again, you know, right. to make sure that it's right. That's the precious part. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I have to ask you this, and I'm not asking for names. Uh, <laughs> have, you, have you had a bad songwriting or multiple bad songwriting uh, sessions with somebody? I mean, like in the point where you're like, I'm not co-writing with that person anymore um yes i think that there are very few examples where it's that you know dramatic and clear that i wouldn't want to work with the person again usually i mean i've had some not great experiences where like someone just might be like on their phone the whole time which is very annoying um Golly, sometimes what's funny is sometimes you think a write might be going poorly because you haven't maybe gotten very far in the first hour or two. Um, I can think of this one example with my last record, um, Lucky Strike. I was writing with this guy named Bruce Wallace, and he's this sort of crazy genius on Music Row. And he was an hour late for the session. And uh, I thought that it was going to get canceled naturally because. I'm sitting there on music row waiting for him to come <laughs> and bless his heart. He just, you know, he was just running late and he came and, and we had never met before. And, and, uh, yeah, I really thought it was going to be a loss, but he got there and was like so devoted to finding something interesting. And it took us a, it took us so long to find something that we both cared about writing about mm we probably talked around it, like looking for something that we cared about for probably two hours. So that's three hours now into the session, which like, if you don't have something by three hours in most of the time, you should probably uh, assume that you're not going to have it. But I tell you what, that day, once we found it and that song is called think about me. Mm. And once we found it, we read the song in 45 minutes. <laughs> And so if I had like gotten mad that he was late or given up because I didn't know him well or whatever, if I had, if I had like told myself that he was a jerk or whatever, or that he was like not interested in my ideas or something, if I had given up on that moment, then I wouldn't have gotten that great song, you know? Yeah. And sometimes you have these really surprising moments in rooms with people that if you just calm down and remain patient and like stay in the zone of like looking for the thing that it is that you're both going to be excited to write about that day. And just like, remember that what you're doing is really important and that you don't have to apply your preconceived notions of what it's supposed to be like to that situation. Like, like it, literally every right is different with every person. And so coming into it with, these ideas of what you think it's supposed to be like is usually not going to help. So I've 
developed three questions that I think have been kind of interesting. Um, and so if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you. Of course, let's do and, it. Let's do it. Okay. So the first one is, uh, who is the songwriter that makes your jaw drop? Mm. John Brown. John Brown. Yeah. So many great yeah. songs. So many great songs. Songs that move you surprisingly, move you um, plainly. You know, he's such a plain spoken writer, but also was just such a, a smart writer that he just made it seem so effortless. And of course it wasn't like he was, he was a very meticulous writer who cared so much about every line, but could make it seem as though, you know, it was just something he wrote in a, yeah. in, a, in an hour or something. But yeah, he's, he's definitely at the top of my list. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a, that's a tough loss in this. And I mean, this pandemic has been so awful, but losing him was, was definitely a big, big part of that. That was my first big pandemic cry. (laughs) I like, I I heard and then I walked outside and I just started Hmm. scream crying at the sky. And I tell you, I swear I cried for probably 30 minutes. I was mad and sad and confused and scared. You know, it's a lot. And mourning, you know. Yeah. I oddly did it before he died when Stephen Colbert played a video of the last song they had duet they did together. Mm. And I was watching that and Mm. I just, just lost it. Um, Okay. Question number two, do you listen to music that is really outside this area of Americana folk? Mm, Mm -hmm. And what of that music is um, informs kind of those how you write. I mean, whether it's melody or, or, or mm-hmm. rhythm or lyric, mm-hmm. anything, you know, I feel like rock and roll and, and pop from the 60s, 70s and 80s. Well, not really the eighties, but mostly the sixties and seventies uh, has definitely been a source, a constant source of, of inspiration and really a resource to go back to actually just put out a cover GP earlier this year. And, and I've, I've recorded a Roy Orbison song. I think that he was such an incredible writer and such a writer of hooks. Yes. And Tom Petty is one of my favorites. Okay, last question. Okay. And it's morphed because uh, <laughs> for reasons that I'll, I'll explain, but it, it, so it's, it's morphed into this two, two part. It's either guilty pleasure music huh. or music that you listen to that your fans might actually be surprised at. <laughs> <laughs> or offended by. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, yeah. You know, I actually um, love uh, Maggie Rogers. I think she's so mm-hmm. incredible. Um, it's not even really a guilty pleasure. Like, I don't even care. I think she's really smart, and I think she's a great pop writer. I love uh, Casey Musgraves. Mm-hmm. I love Taylor Swift. Like, some of the Taylor Swift songs, I think, are so catchy. And, uh, and you know, they might not be, like, the most groundbreaking um lyric writing you could consider but man i think i think she's a great example of a of a modern pop writer (laughs) this is funny Uh, this isn't really a guilty pleasure but my fans might be surprised um people listening might be surprised that that i'm a big fan of this guy named butch walker who in the 90s had a band called the marvelous three 
And I know about them because my, my oldest brother Ennis is a huge fan of his and the band and Butch are from Atlanta and I'm from South Georgia. And so they were kind of like a, a hit rock band in the late nineties. And I found out about them, I guess in the early two thousands. And I think Butch is also an incredible pop writer. Um, and he's actually an incredible producer as well. When you get a new CD or, or mm-hmm. I mean, uh, or download or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, how do you listen to it? I tend to start on Spotify because it's just there the fastest, you know, like it's out on the day that it comes out. And I, I tend to listen there first. And when I, when I then obsess over it, I tend to bring it down here into my studio and either plug in the CD or pull it up on, and I'll, obsess over it on my big speakers in my studio here, which is really fun. Um, and then I'll go back to Spotify. I like to listen a lot on when I'm running. And so I'll, you know, put it in my, my queue to be a part of my running playlist. It's pretty fun. Do you, do you, do you like to listen through it in the order? I mean, yes, actually I'm very annoyed by this problem I'm having with my Spotify right now, which is that like, I can't seem to play them in chronological order. I don't know if it's like some sort of new thing that they're doing to us, but I'm like, what is happening with my Spotify? Yeah. It's not right. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I I don't know where, I mean, maybe because I grew up with vinyl, maybe it's because I I grew up listening to to, to albums all the way from side one, you know, as it should be. Exactly. Thank you. It's in the Bible, I think, <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but, and it's funny, Lisa has gotten into that with me too. And so now sometimes we'll end up having a shuffle. Music we've bought in the last six months and yep. we'll have it. And that's fun. But when we get a yeah. new album, whether it's vinyl or CD or a download, we listen to it all the way through multiple times because I know that's right. I know from talking to you guys how much work goes into is these are thrown up yeah. there, you know. There yeah. there's a there's a thought process as to which song you lead off with and you know so uh-huh. Yeah, and singles actually are kind of confusing as a listener to me because you know, if a song if a single gets released, you know, 3 months in advance of the album release, my first thought is where is this in the track list? <laughs> right. I and it actually, feels kind of sacrilegious to like jump in the middle of the track listing. I, I actually, it's funny. Uh, so Kathleen Edwards has a new album coming out I know. next month and I, I pre-ordered it. And I have been avoiding all the pre-release <gasps> singles because I want to sit and listen oh, to it. Oh, that's so nice. I've already heard one of the songs that our local radio station played it. And it's fantastic. I mean, she's, she's one of my favorite. Same. I, mean, I love her was, so much. Baylor was one of those albums when I heard yeah, that. Same. I was like, what? <laughs> well mary i should let you go lisa by the way wanted to tell you hi um, hi lisa please give her my love i will your mm. time here uh i know i've told you but we loved it so much we love mm. you we love your work we are just such Thank huge you. fans Thank and i will stand so on i'll stand on josh ritter's top coffee table who i love <laughs> by the way and tell him that that Violets as Camouflage is one of my favorite albums from last year. Um, and it's it so kind. I mean, it's thank still, you so much. Thank um, you so much. And it's a pleasure to catch up with you today and get to visit and talk about writing. It's like it's yeah. a real joy. I I, I feel I feel filled up. So thank you for that. Thank you for taking the time. And um, mm, absolutely, and it's my just, pleasure. I'm I'm so glad that we uh, came in that room in Montreal and heard you and Kitana. <laughs> 
<laughs> and and Hannah Miller. Yes. And uh, what a magical of all the Folk Alliance showcases I've been to, I think that one had the hair on the back of my neck. Oh, from, wow. From get go. It was just That's so kind. Hearing. Thank yeah. you. It yeah. was definitely a treat to meet you there. Yeah. And uh, I'm so glad that you, that y'all said hello and that I got to come to Colorado. That yeah. was such joy. Me too. Me too. Well, yeah. we'll do it again. Yes. At some I can't point. wait. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Mary is one of our favorite artists and people, and we cannot wait until this pandemic eases so we can see her live. In the meantime, please visit her website, purchase some CDs, and send her some support. We need our poets and truth-tellers now more than ever. See you next time on Music at Three Pines. Everybody's